podcast where two friends talk about Demon Slayer. My name is Josh. And my name is Mutt. How are you doing, Mutt? How was your week? My week was indeed a week. A week has passed. How about you, Josh? Ah, uh, every day is the same. Uh, I did a lot of cooking today. Uh, really? What did you do? Yeah, so I made hamburgers for lunch. And then oh, yeah. I finished off with a Japanese curry for dinner. So yeah, it was oh, a whole day spent in the kitchen. Oh, that feels good, man. That's a nice day. Yeah, it, it was pretty good. A bit laborious. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you the secret to a good homemade burger, Mutt. Which I'm sure you already know, being a bit of a cook yourself. But let me just explain to you and the audience what oh, I yeah, right. makes a good... Yeah, I'm going to mansplain. I'm going to mansplain what makes a good burger, okay? I've read a lot of recipes online that ask you to add a whole bunch of shit. They ask oh, for like no, bread. No. They, they want breadcrumbs. They want breadcrumbs no. in, your, in your patties or garlic powder. And I'm like, no, you don't need any of that. All you need is a, a nice mince. You put in your butter, and here's the secret: I use mixed herbs. Oh yeah. I pour a little mixed herbs into the concoction, and then I just use my, oh, yeah. my hands and I massage it up. And then you just put them, oh, make them yeah. into little patties. You add some salt and pepper, and you're ready to go. That's it. Is there yeah, a, is there a particular yeah. way that you make your burgers? Uh, not that way. <laughs> not that way. <laughs> Did that just sound <laughs> horrific to you? Oh, I mean, since you asked, and personally, I don't, when I make a burger, I don't add anything into it at all. So I normally go with the quality of the, the mince. Yeah. Um, to avoid having, so you, you add more oil just because you want to pump up the juice factor, right? From when it cooks. Mm-hmm. But I found that if I aim for a mince that's about 20% fat, you get that, that juiciness. So I know that's a bit challenging in, in Malaysia because you'd never know the fat content. Of no, you don't. But yeah, I just, uh, I get something like that. And then all I do is just loosely shape it into patties. So if I'm making smash burgers, just into little bowls and you smash it down, if I'm making thicker burgers, I just, if you work it enough, you can actually get it to stick quite cohesively. And all I use is salt and pepper, nothing I, else. I didn't know you're getting fancy on me, but That fancy? <laughs> yeah, you're talking about smash <laughs> burgers and you're talking about like thick burgers. And I'm just oh, talking yeah. about patties that I shaped with my hands. Lovingly shaped and caressed. Like Patrick Swayze in Ghost. Uh, but before we go too off the rails, no, we're not here to talk about ghosts or burgers, we're here to talk about demons. And let's start with episode 2 called Trainer Sakonji Urokodaki. The episode opens with Tanjiro borrowing raw material and a basket from a farmer couple. And he's insisting on paying even when the husband is saying please don't pay. Because the basket itself is decrepit, it's damaged, there's a hole in it, we don't want you to pay. And Tanjiro doesn't accept this. He wants to pay no matter what. He's like, bitch, I don't need no charity, I'm swimming in that coal money. And he basically slams the guy's palm with coins. <laughs> like, he really just smacks the shit out of the guy's hand and then he runs away. <laughs> and I thought, he almost, Yeah, he almost killed that man, he almost broke his arm off. <laughs> it was a reverse robbery and assault. I was just going to say, what is the reverse of a mugging? Is that such a thing? And then he goes back to a cave where we find uh, Nezuko in a hole which she dug to uh, stay out of the sun. And it's so super adorable. It is, right? Did she, yeah. she dug that hole herself, right? Yeah, did yeah. Did he dig it for her? Yeah, no. She dug it herself. And yeah. then she crawled in. And, and he even made the statement that she's like a mole. Mole in a hole. Then we find out what the purpose of the basket for is was that he was going to carry her around during the day because, of course, she cannot be in the sun. And he asks her to crawl in, and she is way too big. <laughs> she just crawls in head first. She's like a caterpillar, almost. She just 
shifts her body inside and she just like half her body is sticking out and she just gives up and then this is where we find out about her size shifting abilities because Panchiro remembers that she could shift herself to become bigger so why not become smaller so he commands her to do it and she does and she she fit she becomes small enough to fit in yeah i wish i wish i wish my bank account was like Nezuko never smaller though only bigger and uh, made a note here she is almost like a puppy in terms of so understanding like yeah, oh, but that okay. Wait, hang on. Let's let's look into that. You you think she's like a puppy in her her ability to understand? Yeah, in terms of understanding basic commands, like the way that she acts and responds to the things that Tanjiro is saying, it's not like she's like super responsive, but it's like she listens and she understands like basic commands. That that's the vibe that we're getting from the show right now. Yeah, yeah. I got something. I got something a bit different. Like <clears throat> I found Tanjiro. So I think what stays is he's talking to her in some aspects the same way how he used to talk to her before she was a demon, right? He's still petting her head. He's got a very lovey-dovey, caring voice towards her, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same way he talked to all his siblings, that, that saturated, sweet sort of thing. That they're all sort of puppies. But it makes you wonder, right? Like, I wonder, what is what was or is Nezuko's actual mental acuity? Can she understand everything perfectly? And it's just like she's got no means to communicate. So Tanjiro just keeps talking to her like she's a puppy. I guess that's where the disconnect happens because maybe he himself is not aware of the mental capacity that she actually has. That's right, right. And we are we are never we are never truly made aware of exactly how like we know she can grasp of pretty much everything, but then to what degree can she understand it? You know exactly. Like you don't know if um she's able to accurately understand a situation based on context, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or well, I guess I guess she understands like immediate immediate context like if there's immediate danger she understands because as, as we yeah. as we'll see later on in anime she she does understand dangerous scenarios and she's able to respond uh, appropriately but other than that it's not like she has the ability to grasp more than basic instructions I was... yeah i don't know about that i think like you're right her situational awareness is on point right she mm. sort of sees things unfold and she's able to to deal but i've got the i've got my vibe is that she's actually got a very deep understanding of what's going on. She can understand everything everybody's saying. She just lacks the ability to, I guess, communicate it. So that's why everybody just goes, oh, you're a demon. You must be dumb. And we do see that as well later on, right? That there are difference, there are differences in the levels of intelligence yeah. in by each demon that yeah. they show. So it's not fixed, right? So yeah. they don't know on which scale Nezuko sits at. But we yeah. know one thing is that she can't, she can't talk anymore. Exactly. In fact, she might be the only demon I think that we see that doesn't speak. So, Tanjiro goes on his way with Nezuko in the basket, and then they bump into more villagers who warn him that there have been people disappearing mysteriously, and the journey continues into nightfall. So, then at this point, Nezuko is out and about, so she's no longer in the basket because, of course, it's nightfall. And they stumble upon a shrine where Tanjiro smells blood. And his first thought is that he thinks somebody fell down and hurt themselves. So he runs to that shrine to see if they need any help. And yeah, of let's, course, let's, yeah. Let's look at that for a second before, yeah. before we move on, right? And so to this point, right, apart from the attack on his own family, he hasn't really had an encounter with a demon yet. And he retains a lot of that innocence just about what's going on. Blood, somebody's hurt, I must help. Never crosses his mind that it could be a demon attack. Exactly. And I was just thinking to myself during this part, it's like he's never seen or heard of a demon until like the night before actually and then suddenly it's just like oh demons everywhere killing everybody surge yes. surge pricing on demons 
opens these on humans. So they stumble upon the demon feasting on people inside. And of course, Tanjiro is rooted to the ground in mm-hmm. panic. And here, like you were saying previously, we find out that demons can speak. They are perfectly able to converse. So it's not like we are led to believe in the first episode that demons just become sort of feral or wild. They are able to articulate and they are able to think. Then we cut to Nezuko who starts to drool because essentially there's an all-you-can-eat spread in front of her. Yeah, it took, me, it took me a while, yeah. right? Because when you see the water dripping, your immediate thought is, ah, she's crying. And then you're like, wait, hang on. And then they do it purposely because they do two close-ups of her eyes to really show you there's no tears coming out of her eyes. She is salivating. She's drooling. Yeah. And she's fighting that demon urge to basically, you know, chow down and then all you can eat. Yep. It's a buffet. So then Domingo's like, what are you? Humans, if you disturb my, my feast, I'm going to kill you. And I think he was, he was already planning to do that anyway because he immediately attacks Tanjiro. But uh, Tanjiro is able to get him on the neck with his axe. But that has no effect because he insta-heals. That's one of the advantages of being a demon, apparently. So he gets like a mortal wound that does absolutely nothing. Is it a mortal wound if it's not mortal? It would be a mortal wound, except that he is immortal. It's immortal. <laughs> Loopholes. Love it. Meanwhile, uh, Nezuko is still paralyzed from hunger. And then the demon attacks Tanjiro again. And then Nezuko finally comes to when she hears Tanjiro cry out. Oh, what an amazing scene this is. Yeah, I laughed my ass off at this part because she just comes in from the side and she kicks the demon's head clean off. Like, just like... Yeah, just Maradona's it. (laughs) It's like literally, boom, go! It just flew forever. It's so good. Yeah. Tanjiro at this point can't believe that Nezuko just killed somebody, even if it's a demon, and then he's distracted. So the body starts moving on its own, and we realize, oh shit, the demon's not dead. (laughs) And Nezuko tries to grab Tanjiro, Nezuko kicks that body too. Yeah, yeah. And I think this point's where we're now introduced to the fact that Nezuko's also ungodly strong. Yes. So if if you can sort of drop kick a guy's head clean off his shoulders, and then follow up with a second kick right into the ribs that sends him flying. Like, okay, this is uh, this is somebody you know that should have probably in the be in the basket the whole day. Well, it is to protect him from the sun. Yeah. No, no. I mean, you know what I mean, right? So yeah, you have to be in there to protect you from the sun. But like, she's got she's got mad skills. Oh yeah. She can oh, yeah. really come into play. At this point, she's like the she's the strongest protagonist. And I know we yeah. only have two, but yeah, worth saying at this point that uh, the demon's body and its head are two separate entities. The demon head starts shouting at, starts shouting at Nezuko and Tanjiro, and he's calling out Nezuko as a demon, and he's going, and he's going crazy because he's like, he he's asking like, why the hell is a demon hanging out with a human? What the fuck is this? What's going on? <laughs> and uh, but Tanjiro just can't process anything because this is a lot for him to take in. First, he finds out that the demon doesn't die when the when its head is separated from its body, and now the demon head is talking. They go into a bit of tag team action because the headless body attacks Nezuko and really starts beating the shit out of her. And the bodiless head grows arms and attacks Tanjiro. He grows arms out of his neck. Yeah, that's not a that's not a demon anymore. That's a fucking geodude, right? Except he doesn't float like a geodude. He's like crawling, crawling on the ground, and I found that actually even more terrifying than the original demon. <laughs> yeah, then um he flies towards Tanjiro. Uh, arms and head and all but he manages to block the demon's bite with his axe and then this is the first introduction of Tanjiro's second superhuman ability not learned in Demon Slayer training camp it's this abnormally hard hit and he just starts headbutting this demon like it owes him money right just like 
just bam, bam, bam again and again. And it's just like, whoa. And then this sort of, you sort of, you sort of start to wonder, right? Because he's got that, that scar on the, the top part of his head, right? On the side of his head. Mm. And then you start to wonder, all right, is there is there a relation between the scar you have that's never explained and how hard your head is and why out of everything and everybody that's trained and fought and done to fight demons that isn't work, it's just your fucking head that's able to beat one down into submission. I have a theory on this car. Yeah. Maybe when he was younger, he tried to hit but his dad. But his dad's head was harder? Yeah, genetics. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe it was daily training. Daily abuse from his father to get a hard head. He then flings the demon head with the axe into a tree, and then the, the handle sorts of pins the head and the and his arms. God, it's so difficult to explain. Uh, but anyway, he's pinned to a tree with the axe. Then he runs off, uh, because at this point, Nezuko has been beaten out of sight by the headless body. So he goes off to help Nezuko, and he finds her near a cliff, and he saves her by tackling the body off the cliff. We have this whole cliffhanger, looks like he's about to fall, but Nezuko oh, rescues God. him. Yeah, you like that? So what, what, what happens here is also, it's, it's, it's really cool what they're trying to, to show in this scene, right? Mm-hmm. I think up to now, Tanjiro has been very, very strategic. He's always been able to think through scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. He, I mean, even, even confronted with the, the demon, where it's, as you say, it's this comical scene, either party doesn't know what the fuck is going on. And you're just like, what what's happening it's literally a fight for survival right yeah and and tanjiro being able to take all of this in is able to you know think about it and strategically say i'll just use my head right and then he's still thinking the number one priority is nezuko so he needs to dispatch this demon as fast as possible and then now you cut to this scene where he's literally just clear on Football tackling this demon off the edge of a cliff without any care of strategy, without thinking, without anything. He just wants to protect Nezuko. Mm-hmm. And so I think it sort of shows you that, you know, he's a very level-headed guy. He can think through things unless his family is involved, unless Nezuko is involved. And then he loses all sight of that and she becomes the most important thing. And it doesn't matter what happens to him anymore. Yeah, he, he does abandon a lot of self-preservation when it comes mm-hmm. to Nezuko because that's just the sort of guy he is. That's right. An upstanding citizen. Right? If only more people were like him. Oh, it would be a much better world, I think. Um, there'd, be a lot of, uh, there'd be a lot of bodies at the bottom of cliffs. Because, yeah, yeah, so the the headless body... Hold on, I'm, tra- yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to get this right. Oh my god, this scene was so good. This scene was fantastic. The headless body plummets off the cliff, into the ground, and he lands where his head would have been. But he lands on the stump of his neck, right? Oh, stump And we find out that I guess the body and the head is still connected, apparently. Because when the body lands, the head gets killed too. We, yeah. we, we cut to the demon's head pinned to the tree and he gets knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And I love how the head lands stump first and doesn't buckle. It just stays upright. And then the legs fold over. <laughs> yeah, and the, and it actually goes like... Bleh! Yeah. Then, yeah. then um, I guess we cut back to a few minutes later. Uh, Nazuko and Tanjiro have made their way back to the shrine, or the courtyard of the shrine rather, and they are standing in front of the demon head. And Tanjiro has a big old knife, and he's trying to bring himself to kill the demon. And he's hyperventilating because there's a compassion in him that's obviously uh, very he's, reluctant. He's, he's obviously hyper empathizing. Hyper empathizing. Yeah, he's just standing there going, "Oh, this guy's gonna suffer." Yeah, 
But that comes later because uh, right now he thinks all he has to do is just like stabity stab and it will oh, be the yeah. end of it. And he's struggling with himself. And then out of nowhere, a man with a Tengu mask, a Tengu being, of course, that red-faced demon with the long nose. So there's a man with a Tengu mask. He appears out of nowhere suddenly and he touches Tanjiro's shoulder. Side note uh, to anybody in real life, do not, do not touch a person who's holding a knife. Uh, do not touch their shoulder suddenly. I think that's good advice. Unless you're this guy who's apparently like, I guess, touch somebody, touch whoever you want if you're a trained soldier. Don't, don't touch anybody you want, even touch if you're a trained soldier. Touch anyone you want. Don't touch anybody you want, even if you're a trained soldier. You can soldier. deal with it. You can be trained in anything, just don't touch anybody you want. Ask for consent. Yeah, so the man says that that won't work. And Tanjiro at this point notes, who's this guy? I didn't hear him. How did he get here? But Could never mind, more important him. things right now. He asks him, if this doesn't work, how do I kill the demon? And the man says, figure it out for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you think this is a fucking charity, kid? He's like, and I was like, this is so unfair. This is the first time a kid is fighting a demon. He, he's about to stab him with a knife and he says, oh no, that won't work. And you're like, okay, then what do I do? And he goes, think for yourself. Rude. And I don't know how Tanjiro came to this conclusion, but he figures that he's got to smash the hit till there's nothing left. I, I, I come to that same conclusion. You think? I, I mean, I, what else would you do? I would autom- automatically think about the sun. He does, well, so he knows that the sun is harmful to demons. Yeah. Because of Nezuko. I yeah. guess when you're in that scenario, I mean, yeah, maybe it wasn't thinking straight. I wouldn't have thought about the sun. Hmm. In me, it would have just been, okay, I'm task-focused. I need to destroy this head. Stabity, stab, stab won't work. So smash, be smash, smash. No. Here's what I would have thought of. Fire. I would have... Fire? Yeah, I would have incinerated that thing. Yeah. Fire seems like a... I wouldn't even say it's more humane, but it seems like a less messy way of doing things rather than taking a huge rock and like smashing it. Yeah, but then you have to get firewood, you have to put it into a little pile. Nobody's asking to start it. Nobody's asking you to like cook it lovingly over an open fire. You just start you a still need to start a fire. You still need to start a decent enough fire to Use a zippo. A zippo I don't know. My fourth wall. My immersion. What the fuck? I apologize. So yeah, so he wants to smash the demon's head in and he picks up a rock. But of course, he's still hesitating because if he can't stab the guy, he's not going to smash him into pieces with a rock. And the man notes that uh, Tanjiro just isn't up to snuff because he's too considerate. In fact, he can smell the kindness emanating from him. That was a lot of kindness. The way they drew that scene where he just had so much blue coming out of him. Which left me wondering, like two things here. First of all, how much kindness does somebody have to have before you can smell it? I've never smelled kindness before, Martin, have you? I, uh, yeah, no. I can't say I've smelled anyone looking for kindness. This is, this is true. I've seen kindness. I've heard mm-hmm. of kindness. But smelling I've it... I've kindness. Yeah. But smelling I've tasted it, kindness. Have you? What does it taste like? But then I've not smelled it. It tastes like strawberries. Oh, that's nice. And uh, yeah, also, does everybody have superhuman smell in this anime? <laughs> right. And at this point, uh, while Tanjiro is hesitating and the man is monologuing, the head wakes up and he asks Tanjiro to walk on over so he can kill him. (laughs) (laughs) It was a pretty straightforward request, to be honest. The man knows how to ask for things. 
in, in all fairness, it was easy, right? It was an easy request. Just walk over here. So I come over here, son. <laughs> and then the sun comes up, and before the guy can finish his diatribe, uh, he is turned into dust, demon dust. And this is why we find out why we never want Nezuko out in the sun. Mm. Speaking of Nezuko, she's disappeared and Tanjiro starts to panic. But of course, he finds her safe and sound in the basket of the shrine. So we can all breathe a collective sigh of relief. She's not dead. Because, I mean, she is the driving force of the anime. So it would suck pretty much if she died in episode 2. And then he goes out to the back of the shrine to find the man in the tango mask who's burying the people murdered that night. And he introduces himself as the Sakonji Urokodaki, the man that Giyu directed Nezuko and Tanjiro to look for uh, in the first episode. So, uh, so uh, immediately what I thought of at this scene is uh, instant burial. He just buried three people in under a few minutes. Well, if Tanjiro could bury five people. Uh, but they showed, a, they showed a really good lapse of time, right, when that happened. Mm. And I think over here, like, he walks in, Ah, oh, Nezuko, you're cool. I'm going to turn around. Oh. He's buried them already. He must be an uber-effective serial killer if ever he decided to follow that career path. It's like right. they're dead and buried within within minutes. Nobody that, was that here. Is, that is perfectionism in a craft. Maybe he could smell where the ground was soft. And this point, Sakonji and Tanjiro have a very, a very serious conversation because he asks him, what will you do if your sister eats people? And Tanjiro takes a while to answer. And he just walks right up to him and slaps him. Not just slaps him, he bitch slaps him. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't so much as a conversation as much as just a, a bitch slapping session. Just like anything you say, it doesn't matter. No, I, I think he gave it, I mean, in his estimation, he gave it plenty of time for it to be a conversation. The problem was that it wasn't a conversation and that's why he bitch slapped him. Yeah, I mean, what, what's plenty of time? All right. Your sister might murder somebody. What are you going to do? One Mississippi, two... <laughs> Just like, what? I'll tell you what he was supposed to do because Urokodaki tells him almost immediately after. If his sister kills people, there are two things he can do. First, he kills his sister and then he kills himself by disembowelment. And I guess it has to be Ooh. disembowelment. So, okay, what's, what's your take on that? Why, why does he have to kill himself? Does this, this come back to just that Japanese concept of the the way you, I guess it's you're not you're not preserving, but it's almost the way you make amends, or it comes back to your honor, right? If you fuck up, you kill yourself. I think it's more than just the honor thing, because like if you remember the first episode, Anjuro does mm -hmm. make the promise. He says that my my sister will not kill people, and that is an oath, right? It's it's mm -hmm. a pledge that he has taken on behalf mm -hmm. of his sister, so it means that. If people die, then the punishment would, if in any other context of law, would be you would be executed as well if you were responsible for the death. So if his sister does kill somebody, he has broken his oath, he has broken his pledge, and therefore he should kill himself as well, uh, just yeah. by virtue of law. Yeah, I don't know. I think the death penalty thing is not... It's not sort of being done anymore, but I get your point, right? It's just like... I've made a promise that nobody would get hurt. Somebody got hurt. I'm liable. Kill yourself. Mm. He then says he will test Tanjiro's suitability as a demon slayer. So grab your sister and follow me. Cue the running montage where they run through some of the most beautiful paddy fields I've ever seen in an anime. And at this point, I'm just feeling so sorry for Tanjiro because he hasn't slept for like 
He hasn't slept for the whole night, he was fighting a demon the whole night. Now he's got to run for the whole day when Nezuko is trapped to his back in a basket. And they reach Rokodaki's house in the evening. And Tanjiro thinks the test is over, but not our son. It's just begun. So then he asks Tanjiro to go up to the mountain and he'll take care of Nezuko in the meantime. Him meaning, of course, Rokodaki. They both travel up to the mountain. And now Tanjiro's task is to make his way back down. And of course, Urokodaki disappears. Just to rewind for a second, there was one scene here which I thought was quite telling of uh, Urokodaki's character. And as uh, he leaves um, Tanjiro up there, we, uh, we fast forward to a scene where he's with Nezuko in his house, waiting for Tanjiro to come back. And Urokodaki, Nezuko's passed out, she's recovering and she's, she's, she's resting. And Urokodaki is just at the foot of her little bed or tatami or whatever it's called and saying that you know i'm going to look after you and i think this starts to show us as well that uh urokodaki is a little bit different he still believes in you know whatever goodness is left in, in nezuko and he will look after her just by virtue of the word that he's given yep but yeah so back to tanjiro who's trying to make his way down the mountain and uh he thinks it's going to be easy but nope two steps in and he's getting killed by traps <laughs> like all kinds of traps he falls into pits, he's hit by rocks and logs, and to make it worse, the thin mountainous air is making it difficult for him to breathe. We go through a whole anime moment, a whole, a whole anime protagonist moment where he has to collect himself and focus. And I think this is the first sort of hint of him adjusting his breathing. So it's mm -hmm. a hint to the breathing styles, where, and he allows himself to smell the traps. And can we just can we just take a second to really appreciate that there's a three or four second sequence here where so he's got he's gotten beaten up by two traps and i think uh, this is the one it comes right after the, the the hole in the ground right with the false with the false cover and he's down there and he's like all right these are traps i need to figure my shit out he gets up controls his breathing takes a deep breath you can see all of these tendrils of sense of traps sort of start to flow and gives you the vibe that he's really starting to to hone in his breathing to hone in his sense of smell to overcome these challenges and then there's this Three or four seconds where we are shown this amazing animation of him sprinting yeah. through the forest, right? The art style is so crisp. And yep. then he's still setting up traps and particularly the, the one trap with the long bamboo poles and the way they've animated that scene and the sound and the particle effects when it smacks down and the dust rises. And even after it smacks, you can still hear the sound of the bamboo almost flexing back and forth to lose its initial um, momentum or inertia. And it, it's so clean. When the bamboo hits Tanjiro, it's done so crisply that you feel like you've been hit by that bamboo as well. I think the more, uh, the more disturbing trap was the one before that, where he was just getting peppered by logs, like giant-ass logs that came shooting up from the sky as if they were shot by ballistas and they just like buried themselves in the ground next to him but they managed to avoid all of them. Those were oh, insta-kills. Yeah. Those looked like insta-kills if, if, if he would have been hit. Unless he was hit on the head. Oh, that, yeah, then, then it's just uh, it's just a walk-it-off kind of thing. Yeah, log is broken, log is dead. And then we cut back to Urokodaki who is tucking Nezuko into bed and then Tanjiro, the hero, stumbles through the front door. He's bleeding. Half dead. Yeah. <laughs> He's still alive. Is he? Half dead is half alive. He do? This guy's yeah. dead. No, he's just asleep. Because, yeah, he falls asleep at the front door. And we end on a beautiful narration of a letter from Giyu to Urokodaki explaining the situation. 
it basically just details the story that's happened so far. But he says something very juicy here. He says that he believes that the boy has the potential not just to become a demon slayer, but he could become Urukodaki's heir. And he asks him to train him. Mm-hmm. And Urukodaki then says, I accept you, Kamado Tanjiro. And the episode ends. What did you think of that episode? Uh, what did I think of the episode? I thought that this is, uh, we're still in the phases of the, the series where they're still building up a lot of context. We're introducing characters, and the key character introduced here is uh, Urokodaki, right? Mm-hmm. And his, his link to Gyu. And basically, underpinning this is this concept now of training of demon slayers, of this society that sort of exists. Yep. It introduces concepts about the the type of demons we're going to start seeing Tanjiro deal with in the near future. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that I like how it starts out where basically in the training scene, mm-hmm. we see that Tanjiro is a weak piece of shit. He can't do anything apart from run and smell. And I think it calls out a little bit that, you know, he's this is his, you know, this is his Rocky montage. He's going to get better. I sort of disagree with you a little bit there, just in terms of Tanjiro being weak as shit, because I saw him in that obstacle course from hell as being supremely competent. He was dodging and weaving and being pretty badass about it, and he was getting hit. It showed his endurance and his durability. I mean, the guy fought a demon the night before and ran the whole day, mm-hmm. and he still and he still came out of that life. So I think yeah. I, I I think we gotta give him a little bit of credit for that. I think you're right. I think he's got these these ungodly levels of endurance and will and you know heart. But I think what may maybe weak as shit is uh, is uh, is a bit harsh. But where I'm coming from is that in terms of his skills, technical skills, having to deal with a mountain of traps shouldn't have, I guess, left you half dead at the end. Well, I mean, he is but- a seven year old at this point, right? So. Is he seven? I don't know. They call him a teenager. It doesn't matter. Seven, seventeen. Hmm? Have I misunderstood teenagers my whole life? It's possible. When did your teenager start? But yeah, no, I think that was my take on it. Hmm. Did you have any other things? Like, how did you take the episode? Oh, just purely from the enjoyment of the episode. I liked it a lot because it was such a contrast from episode one. Because episode one was heavy, right? It was very much about your entire family being massacred by demons and the tone was somber because now it's a revenge story. It's a, a story of hope, but it's also a revenge story. And then we have episode two where we find out that demons can be quite surprisingly a source of comedy. And yeah, I really enjoyed the lighthearted tone of the episode, even though it there were certain situations that called for some gravity. But yeah, I just I just enjoyed this episode a lot overall. Yeah, me too. I really like the way they weaved the, in that fight scene with the demon, the comical and the gravity into one. That yeah. was pretty good. So if you had to give it a rating, what would you give it? Hmm. I would give it four foxes out of five. Foxes. That's a foxy rating system. Wow. How about you? Uh, the last one, the last episode, I gave it a rating of an E more out of 10. I will give this one an Elmo out of 10 because it tickled me. (laughs) I like that. All right, that about wraps up our review of episode two of Demon Slayer. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to us as much as we enjoyed talking about it. This was the Pillar Talk podcast from myself, Josh, and from Matt. We bid you adieu. Please come back.